I want you to stand and give Mark an amazing round of applause and welcome him this morning. Fantastic. You can be seated. Well, it's just great to be here. It's been wonderful, actually, to reconnect a little bit with Marty. And uh, today is actually the first time I've met Karen, and uh, you married very well and above yourself, my friend. So, uh, <laughs> that's excellent. All right, so uh, I remember many years ago, I was, uh, we were just living in a, a share house, just a few guys had a house, and uh, youth group was on, and I remember one night, someone came to me and said, there's this group of Baptist boys that have just started coming to, to the youth group. And uh, we think you should, you should go and kind of meet them and, and go and talk with them. And uh, it was just fantastic. The next Sunday or next Saturday night, we used to run youth on a Saturday night. And uh, the next Saturday night, I, I went and met these Baptist boys. And, uh, and they were just fantastic. But what was about them was that they had a hunger. They had a hunger for God. And where there's a hunger for God, that's all God really requires. That's all He requires. And uh, right back, I remember very clearly when I met Marty, I was actually on the outside of the, the church. I, I met you there, you just with a few other guys, and I just thought, there's something about this young man. There's something that's on his life. And, uh, and, and then really just life went one way and another way, and it wasn't like we had any upsets or anyone was mad with anyone, but we just went our different ways. And uh, just to reconnect with Marty over the last year or so and found out that he's pastoring in the church, it's just been excellent. And I remember one day just, I don't know, maybe a year ago, just having a what I thought was going to be just a short couple of minute phone call just to say something. And then we just ended up talking and I just thought, wow, it's just wonderful to hear him speak about his church, about how he loves the people here, his vision and heart for the church. And it's just fantastic. And so when he asked me just recently whether I'd be able to come and speak, I go, yes, I would love to. Uh, it would be fantastic and it would be my honour and privilege to be here. So uh, I'm going to preach this morning. Father, I pray that you would take my words, make them real, make them challenging, make them helpful, oh Lord. Father, people didn't come to hear me this morning, they came to hear you. And I pray that you would take my words and let it be the voice of the Lord that would bring faith into their lives. We just ask that. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I know this area quite well. My parents used to live just off State's Road here at Morford Vale. So every Sunday after church, we would drive and my mum would cook me a great meal and I, I, I loved it. And, and so, yeah, but then my father's now in heaven. My mum's still 94 years old, living by herself, still go to the market, Central Market every week, catches a bus and that. So I've got good genes. <laughs> <laughs> this morning I'd like to speak to you about worry. You know, everyone worries a little bit. And I, and I want to talk to you about the antidote to worry. They say worry actually works because pretty much everything you worry about doesn't happen. Right? So there must be something in it. You know, worry is a very big deal for lots of people. There's just something about worry that can get something that's small and turn it into something that's much larger. There was a guy driving along a country road at night and all of a sudden he heard the and he had a flat tire. He goes to look and he hasn't got a jack 
And so he thinks, what am I going to do? It's a country road. There's not much around. And he sees a light in the distance. There's a farmhouse in the distance. And as he's walking down towards the light, the pathway to the house, he starts to think, I wonder if they'll have a jack. Will they lend me a jack? I hope they will lend me a jack. Are they going to charge me for the jack, for, for lending the jack? How much will they charge me for the jack? Have I, have I even got enough money to pay for the jack? By the time he knocks on the door, the owner opens the door, he just bursts out, I don't even want your stupid jack. <laughs> now, my nature, not because of any godliness, but just because of the way I am, I'm not an actual natural warrior. I, I tend to worry big time at the initial stage of something happened, but I can essentially quickly make my peace with it. It's only very rarely that something would really engage me that I worry about it over days and days at a time. Over the years, I've developed a mechanism whereby I can kind of speak to that worry and tell it to just line up to the Word of God, and, 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 and I've been able to take captive those thoughts that are so easily to, to, to run around. I refuse its influence over me. But obviously, I do have worries, like each and every person here. I sometimes worry about my kids. I, I worry about my own behavior a little bit. That's probably my biggest worry. <laughs> I worry about my church. I generally don't worry about money too much because I am a tither. I am someone who's learned to give and so God has very look, much looked after me at every turn. But I remember very well one time where I was almost struck dumb with worry about money. The, 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 the circumstance had come and it just almost struck me dumb. Nina, Nina and I had made an investment. And what had happened is that we'd invested $150,000, so not just a little bit of money. We went and lost, uh, invested $150,000, and then we lost that money. That money, the, it, it just went south. It was a bad investment. We lost $150,000. We made our peace with that. That wasn't what struck me dumb. We made our peace with it. God spoke to me and said, you may not have everything, but you lack nothing. And in the kingdom, I've never lacked a thing. Right? So I didn't have everything, but I have never lacked anything. So we weren't happy about losing $150,000. No one would be, I don't think. But uh, we'd moved on and I thought it was over. Probably two years later, we'd only just moved to Brisbane. And uh, we'd been in Brisbane pastoring there for a couple of months. And I get a letter. And it's a lawyer's letter. And I open up this letter and it's a legal letter telling me that because of something we had supposedly had done that uh, we now owed 1.2 million dollars for a unit that apparently we had bought right as part of our 150,000 with that developer now that struck me dumb like I was oh now lawyers letters aren't nice letters either it's not like they start off I hope this letter finds you well right like no, it's just straight up, you owe Bankwest $1.2 million. And to be honest, it might as well have been $1.2 billion for our capacity to pay it back. We didn't have anywhere near that sort of money, even if we sold everything that we own. Also, lawyers' letters are written in a way, and if you're a lawyer here today, I do love you, all right? We, we have no issues with lawyers, right? Like, but the way you write your letters, Right? It's, it's just, it's, it's like a fait accompli. There's nothing you can do about it. It's just done. Give us the money. We're coming to get your house tomorrow. Right? We were going to have to go bankrupt. There was no other way that we could pay 
million dollars. And for a pastor, that's death. Right? Like, if I go bankrupt, I don't have a job. I'm not allowed to be on my church's board. I'm not allowed to be a church director. As an ACC pastor, I'm not allowed to be bankrupt as an ACC pastor. So I've just left, you know, paradise. We've been pastoring this new church in Brisbane for two months. And here I'm thinking, like, how am I going to tell the board that I've got to resign, I've got to hand in my pastor's credential. It, it would have been no different if I'd had a moral fall. I would have had to hand in my job. Everything just looked bleak and dark and bad at that time. Not only did it look like we were going to go bankrupt, but now I'm going to lose my job as well. That's the first thing. It's like a wave It just hit me. As I said, I'd been struck dumb almost. I went into the backyard of the house that we were renting and I just started to walk up and down. I didn't immediately tell Nina, right? I, I just, I've got to kind of work this through, right? It was, one of, it was one of my friends who got us into this mess as well. So, right, so uh, how do I tell Nina? No. You know, I did tell Nina, and then we worried together. <laughs> but I did something. I took the letter, and with Nina... We went and got that very letter, that very lawyer's letter with Nina. We went into our lounge and we bought the letter and we literally opened up and spread it before the Lord. We actually put this letter and put it out there and said, here it is, Lord. This is addressed to you. It might have my name on it, but this is addressed to you. We spread it before the Lord. See, it was something that I'd learned from the Word of God. In 1 Kings 19, Hezekiah receives a letter from a king of a massive army. And this massive army is about to just obliterate them. This is what the letter says. Say to King Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gozan, Haran, Rezep, and the people of Eden, all who were in Tel Asar. Where is the king of Hamath or the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Leir, Serum, Hena, and Avar? So he gets this letter, which is basically just prophesying doom all over his life. No one else has been able to withstand this. How are you going to withstand it? Don't you rely on your God. He can't help you, just like the gods of the other nations can't help you. You are in deep, deep trouble, Hezekiah. What does he do? Hezekiah received the letters from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. And listen to the words Senator Cherub has sent to ridicule the living God. One way to deal with worry is to take your worry to someone bigger than larger than yourself. We spread that letter before the Lord. It was a very real, natural circumstance, but we took it to someone larger than ourselves. We took it to our supernatural God. See, we aren't built to carry some of the worries that we carry, but God is. 
Cast your burden on him. Now, God didn't immediately just fix everything and all of a sudden there was a check in the mailbox for 1.2 million. That would have been nice. And we would have had a nice unit as well, right? But we weren't carrying it any longer ourselves. We had now someone who was going to carry that weight with us. Long story short is that we got out of it. I'd kept some emails. Very, very, very wise thing. Right? I'd kept some emails from years before that showed our intention was never to purchase the unit. And after a few months, it was dealt with. You know, it, it was dealt with and I give praise and honor to God this morning. Jesus speaks about worry. It's written in red. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Worry is actually a test of trust. Is God really in control of your life? Has God really got a plan for your life? Is God's intention for your life an actual good one? It's a test of trust. What is it? is it? Do I trust what God is saying? Do I trust that God has a plan? Or am I going to trust someone else's opinion? Am I going to trust a letter? Am I going to trust a doctor's report? Am I going to trust all the different things that we sometimes put our trust in? Am I going to trust that? Or am I going to trust God? Who are you going to trust? Like Hezekiah trusted God, he trusted that God had a plan for his life. See, when I got that lawyer's letter, I had to do exactly the same. I actually had to trust that God had a plan for my life and that he wanted me to pastor that church there in Brisbane. That his plan for me wasn't to fail miserably, to come with my hat in hand and, and kind of just say, sorry guys, I, I know I said I come to this church, but now I've got to resign because of this and, and just bring turmoil, confusion and strife and trouble to that church. That was never God's plan. That I had to trust that when God called me to Brisbane, he called me to prosper. He called that I was going to be a great place and a blessing would flow in that land. I have to trust God, not this letter that is prophesying doom over my life. And you know, I also thought, even if it all went south, God has still got my back. God is still for me. I can lose everything, but I've still got God. I've still got my beautiful wife. I've still got my family. So I believe that God has actually given us all a key of how to respond when worry hits, when that sleepless night hits, when you just can't get to sleep or you get to sleep in that first half an hour, then you wake up and you can't get back to sleep. And I believe it's a key that we can all do, that no one, no one here needs to, to not be able to do. All of us can do it. It's thankfulness and it's praise. To have a heart of thankfulness is the antidote to worry. Isaiah tells us that God will give us the garment of praise 
for the spirit of heaviness. We make an exchange. I take off my worry, my hopelessness, my confusion, my inner turmoil, and I exchange it for a garment of praise. I exchange it and put on now a garment of thankfulness, a garment of gratefulness. Thankfulness, gratefulness, and praise are weapons given to us by God to deal with a spirit of heaviness that can come or the spirit that comes when we get that bad report. Proverbs 17:22. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bone. Proverbs 15:13. A glad heart makes a happy face, and a broken heart crushes the spirit. For the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Picture a train. You've got an engine and you've got the carriages. Worry and thankfulness are like this. Which one is the engine and which one is the carriages? You can see it two ways. If you focus on the train as being the impending circumstances, then that becomes the engine pulling the carriages of thankfulness. You feel like only when circumstances line up can you praise Him. So if your circumstances is the, is the engine, thankfulness comes behind that. I can only praise when circumstances are good. But when you make thankfulness your engine, when you make gratefulness your engine, when that becomes the engine of that train, all of a sudden the circumstances have to follow behind. It has to happen. It's like prophesying over into your own future. Who has the driving power in your life? Worry or gratefulness? Whenever Israel went into battle, they made sure Judah, the tribe of praise, went first. They declared first their trust and their faith in God. They, they went knowing that it was the battle that God was going to win and it wasn't something that they had to do with as long as they praised and they thought and they had great thankfulness. They went in knowing that God would win their battles for them. See, thankfulness, gratefulness is actually humility. It's actually humbling yourself before God and recognizing that you need God in your life. I can't do this by myself. I need God in my life. It's actual humbleness before Him. It's showing I can't, need, I, I can't do it by myself. See, if you don't thank, and prayer is the same thing. Prayer, it's a sign of humbleness. I says, I, I can't do this by myself. I actually need God. What a greater way. If you don't pray, you're saying you don't need God. If you don't have a thankfulness and gratefulness, you're saying, I can do it all by myself. I don't need you. I don't need you. I only need you to get me out of the big stuff. I don't need you. I'm going to read a tough scripture. So once I've read it, you're actually responsible for having heard it. So I just pose a disclaimer right now. So if you don't want to hear this scripture, I don't mind. Put your fingers in your ear. Right? Because once you've heard it, you are responsible for it. Right, I'm going to read it. 1 Thessalonians 5. You better close your eyes. It might come up on the screen as well. All right? <laughs> Be thankful in all circumstances. Now, I looked at every, every version. Right? Like, I looked at it in the Greek, the Hebrew, every sort of language ever made. The word all always means all. Right? It, it didn't trans most. It, no, it's all. Be thankful in all circumstances. 
For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. That's a big call. That's a big ask that the Bible is asking, asking us to do. But it's the way, it's the antidote to worry. See, God understands the human psyche better than anyone. He made it. He knows that if we're left alone with our worries, what will happen is we'll dig an ever-deepening pit. It'll just get worse and worse and worse. See, worry makes us the victim. Thankfulness makes God the victor. Worry causes us to drop our bundle, but thankfulness lifts our heart into heaven. Worry causes us to think negative. Thankfulness causes us to think positive. Worry fosters intimidation. Thankfulness emboldens us. Worry paints scenarios. Thankfulness gives solutions. Worry gives us all the what is. Thankfulness gives us what, what, all, all the what could be's. Worry tells us that people are control, in control. Thankfulness shows us that God is in control. Worry tells me that there are insurmountable odds against me. Thankfulness tells me there are more for me than against me. Worry shows me a Goliath. Thankfulness shows me the five small small stones. Worry tells me that God has forgotten, forgotten me. Thankfulness tells me I'm the apple of his eye. Worry is the fiery dart shot at, at us by the enemy. Thankfulness is the shield of faith designed to quench those arrows. Worry says you have no future. Thankfulness shows that you have a future and a hope. Worry fills you with resignation. Thankfulness fills you with a righteous indignation. Worry says you haven't got what it takes. Thankfulness tells you you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Worry tells you that it's hopeless. Thankfulness points you to Christ who is our hope. Worry tells you you'll never overcome that sin. Thankfulness tells you that some whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Thankfulness is God's method of approaching Him. God never told us to approach Him with His begging, please God, please, please God. He never told us to approach Him that way. Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter His gates with what? Thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. That's how you come into God's presence. That's how you come into His house. That's how you come into when you come to God. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to thank Him. I'm going to enter His courts with thanks. Not this kind of little, oh, please, God, I know you have got one little bit of please. No, come in and thank Him. Come in and praise Him. Come in and, and say something of your heart towards Him. Even in, when Jesus was asked how to pray, and He says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's how He starts the prayer. Understands there's relationship. God is your Father, someone that loves you. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. He didn't come in asking all the requests. Hallowed be your name. It's the way of approaching God. But it is an act of your will. It's something that you need to discipline yourself in. David, when he was writing at a time in Psalm 34, where he had to pretend that he was mad to escape the Philistines, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
See, there has to be an I will. There has to be something for you to do. The word bless here in the Hebrew, I will bless the Lord at all times, is the Hebrew word barak, B-A-R-A-K. And what it means, it's a doing word. It's not an intention. It's not a thought process. It's a doing word. I will bless. I will do something. I will raise my hand. I will raise my voice. I will even dance a bit or do something like that. I will do something. See, your praise of God will be contended for. So I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. And it probably doesn't even happen in this church. It happens in my church. But have you noticed... The only thing we might give ourselves permission to be late for is church. Right? You're pretty much not late for pretty much us, but we can consistently be late for church. See, the devil tries to get us to undervalue that first 15 minutes and overvalue that slow, feely, touchy worship. Right? We undervalue one and overvalue the other where they are at least of equal value. We undervalue the praise and the shout because praise positions you, shows you where you're at. It's the shout that positions, that shows God where, where you're at. See, you need to understand that when hell has had a week in your life, when you've had a hell of a week, right? I wasn't swearing there. All right. Kids are gone crazy. Your wife doesn't listen to you right maybe no it's never happened to me i'm just talking about what other people right the job or your health there's some security issues something happens you've just had a massive fight on the way in the car sun's gone on right the devil wants to keep you from praise he wants to keep you from the shout because when you feel like that and you come in in that first 15 minutes and you make an I will decision in your mind, you move from a position of being a victim to be a position of being a victor. That's what praise is designed to do. And you can't do it like this. You do it like this. Sorry for being a little bit Pentecostal. Even I didn't see anything... Hear that and maybe you have to need to say that. Right? The enemy wants to keep you out of an environment of victory. You think about that. There's an environment of victory as you raise your hands. I don't want to do this. God, you all of a sudden. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says that praise is the lifter of our heads. It's one of the one of the uh, descriptions of God in Psalms. And so I come into church, I'm bad, and my week's been bad. I got these bills, I got this letter, I got this sickness, I got this. I'm bowed down. As I praise, what am I forced to do? It lifts my head. I see a different mindset. I have my mind that's set in heaven rather than what's set on my problems. You know, we sit there and say we don't have a liturgy in, in our churches, but pretty much we start with a praise time because we want you to actually remember God again, right? Because this week everything's gone on, things are happening, and when you come into church, you are kind of thought, I'm gonna, I am now going to think about God. And in our worship, what happens is that now I'm going to engage God. 
So I'm not just now thinking, focused on God. I'm actually going to engage God in worship. I'm actually going to relate with Him. And then the Word of God is preached because our heart is open and we're able to leave with faith because that's what we want to leave with. I want to leave with faith because I want it to matter for you on Tuesday morning, just as it meant on Sunday morning, or Thursday night, as much as it meant on Sunday morning, that you are left with a sense that God is able, that God is great, that God wants to, and that God will bless your life. Maybe the, the singers could come. You know, I could go on and on about different things. But your praise is actually prophetic. You're declaring and proclaiming your deliverance. That's what you're saying. I will praise you, Lord. I will lift up your name. I, I, you, I, you, you are the one that I love. It's, it's, it's declaring your future. God, it will go well with me. See, it's, it's actual faith speaking. You don't feel like that a lot of times when you're praising but as you start to sing it, as you start to declare it, you're actually speaking faith. Where you probably should be lamenting, you are now being thankful. You're now praising. How can that not move the heart of God? How can that not move the hand of God? Psalm 22 tells us that God inhabits the praises of His people. See, as you praise, you're building God a house. When you thank, instead of complain, up go the walls of God's presence. When you praise, instead of sit down, all of a sudden the windows and roof of God's presence comes in your life. Where it was hard to see God and feel God, all of a sudden because you've built an inhabiting place for God to sit, He comes and sits. Praise builds a habitation for God. Don't let some bozo ever tell you that praise is about God needing to know how great He is. Right? That somehow God's in heaven and He's this megalomaniac and He just needs to hear how good He is. Right? And if somehow you're not telling Him He's, he's not good, that He's unhappy with you. Praise isn't for God. Praise is for us. It's not that God needs it. It's because He's given it to us as a weapon to fight off the enemy. No praise, is for our, no praise is for God's benefit, it's for our benefit. I actually worry about people who never praise, who never interact with worship, because it tells me something. It tells me something. We're going to have a time of praise and worship right now. I probably should have let you guys know. That's all right. You can deal with it. Don't worry. All right. And uh, as we do, we're going to open up the altar. And we're going to pray for some people this morning. See, there, there are people here that you, you need to put this lesson into practice. But there's some people here that got some real worries. Not fake ones, not some things that you should you know, get over, but real worries. When we got that letter, that was a real worry. And I want you to not, this morning to come and bring that before the Lord. I want you to come and bring your health report, bring that letter, bring that worry, that work issue. You know, with the new year coming up, am I going to pass my exams? Am I going to be able to do this? Should I move jobs? All the worries that are going through at this time of the year. 
We're going to come and we're going to bring them before the Lord. We're going to praise. We're going to pray for you. And we're going to believe that God is going to do something wonderful in your life. But as I was preparing, I felt there were some specific people here today. And you've allowed a particular worry to become a stronghold. And it needs to be cut off at its root. It needs to be just broken in your life. You've allowed it, something that started off as just, okay, but now it's a stronghold and it's something that you actually believe. It's something that you actually think is the truth. And these are some of those things. There's some people here and you believe that you are going to die young and that you're going to get some disease. I I just want to come against that today. You need to break that thought. There's someone here who has a child that's away from God and you believe that they're not going to come back to God and you fear hell on their behalf. Someone here has a worry that you're different from everyone else and because of that you'll never have successful friendships. You have a fear of being alone. Maybe we could play some nice romantic music. I don't need to have a worry about this one, a word of knowledge about this one, but there are a lot of people worried about their jobs and their careers and about how you're going to, what's going to happen there. There's someone here who gets scared of the dark. It's time to break that fear. I'm not talking about a little child, but you're scared of the dark. We're going to sing a praise song, a worship song. I want you all to stand right now. Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus. That for those that needed to hear this message today, Father, they would respond, O oh God. Father, they would respond, O oh Lord. Father, I pray, O oh God. Father, that you would take their worry and that sense of peace, a peace that passes, surpasses all understanding, shouldn't be there. But because we trust you, because we look to you, because we know you have it in your hand, Father, that peace can come. for joining us on the Harvest Australia podcast. For more information and events in the life of Harvest Australia Church, please visit harvestaustralia.org.